listening to First Church Charlotte. When I was at one of my lowest moments of ministry, personally, my wife had, uh, was fighting for her life. Literally, she had had a stroke. I had one place to preach, one place to preach. And I went there having spent 10 days uh, in the waiting room of an ICU ward, living there, literally. Uh, my fiance, now my wife, uh, was on the point of death. And I had one place to go preach. And I went uh, to Bakersfield, California. And brother and sister Mullings, they did not know me. But they loved me. They took me in. They treated me like a son. They already have a son who's a good bit better than me. He's better looking, better preacher, and richer. But um, uh, they took me in as kind of a secondary, you know, not so cool son. And they spoke life to me. And they loved me. And uh, after I got done that weekend, I had literally no place to preach. And uh, he put his stamp of approval on me, called his friends and said, I want you to know I believe in Nathan Elms. And he said, he's not a very good preacher. But um, if you'll if you'll have him, then it'll be a blessing to the kingdom of God. So I went from being a nobody to being a somebody with places to go, all because of this man's stamp of approval. Brother and Sister Mullings, I love you guys. I love your family. I love your kids. You guys are just amazing examples of not just Christianity, but how to be elders among generations, which is harder than it looks. <laughs> and as my kids teach me every day, and uh, I, I just love them. I, I've said too much, but it's not enough. Let's all stand. Brother Mullings, come make yourself at home. Mikasa Sukasa, preach to us. Well, I'm glad he thinks that, but he could not be more wrong. I No, no, I love him, and he was, and I did make some calls, but not because I felt sorry for him. I don't put my name on the line for just anybody. I'm sorry. I called people because he blessed our church, and I told them, I said, if you will have this young man, he will bless you. And I never had one call to the contrary. And I, I love love the Elms family. Give honor to, yeah. Give honor to Bishop and Sister Elms. We go way back before there was a brother Nathan Elms in California, and that's getting longer time ago than I care to remember. Told someone the other day when my dad was my age, I thought he was an old man. Oh wait, he was. Uh, <laughs> and and sister Charlotte and uh, seriously, they are kind of like second kids to us. Hope they feel the same way we do. It's good to have my lovely and gracious wife with me. As he said, we're on our honeymoon. We've just been married 52 years, and uh, she's still. I'm telling you, she just lights up the room when she walks in. It's just, everything is, is great. And again, I give honor to all of you, uh, especially to one of my daughters in the Lord, Sister Paulina Burns. One of the highlights of my ministry was to be able to pass to her through her youth and teenage years and into her marriage. And uh, never one time. Was she anything but a blessing and an asset and a, and a delight to pastor? 
I uh, feel direction today. Now, I'm going to forewarn you. I don't know that I'm going to be a long time in preaching. So if you are of the disposition that you just kind of put it on cruise control till it gets good and then you get with it. By the time this gets good, it may have gotten over. So I don't <laughs> So, uh, but I have a little motivation in that though because... I asked Sister Elms, I said, about what time do y'all get out? She said, Brother Mullins, you take all the time you need this morning, but Nathan and I are going to lunch at 1230. (laughs) No, she didn't say that. She just insinuated that. (laughs) No, seriously, I found out early, early on in my ministry that it works so much better if the preacher gets through before the congregation does. So I pray the Lord will help me today get in my mouth what's in my heart. A little bit different type of... And I don't... I warned Sister Paulina, she's used to the way I used to be. I was young, had a lot of energy, and I was a lot of spit and leather and sweat and elbows and knees. I don't preach quite that way anymore. I'd like to, I just don't have the physical ability to. But I do feel something in the Holy Ghost, and I pray you will preach with me. Would you do that? I, I promise I will I will hurry every chance I get if you will help me. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, Matthew chapter 11, excerpting an incident out of the ministry of Jesus that many of you will recognize readily. Matthew 11 verse number 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples He departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, I'm going to read some more, but you've got to understand. You've got to get this picture. Here is a man who is accustomed to, standing in the spotlight receiving the applause and the acclaim of the crowds preaching to literally hundreds but that season of life is over and he is now in the darkness of a dungeon and he's all alone the spotlight's been turned off the crowds chariots turned back to a pumpkin and the mice have all ran away if you will And in the darkness of that dungeon, his faith is challenged. It's just been a short time ago that he sees Jesus walking down the banks of the Jordan and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But now, it's a different climate. It's a different atmosphere. And so he he sends his disciples. They posit the question to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And then in verse 11, He turns back to the crowd. The disciples of John have scarcely gotten out of earshot. 
And he turns back to the crowd and he said, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. We, we preachers, we title our sermons. I told the, the conference the other night, I, I doubt seriously that Peter did or Paul did, but we do. And there's a method to you. It gives you a handle to hang on to. So when, if you can remember the title, sometimes you weave your way back into the thought. I want to preach to you for a little while. When God hurts your feelings. Everybody say praise the Lord. Bless you. You may be seated. As I told you before, the the spotlight is now turned off and, and he is alone and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus. You know, in life, I can think of very few experiences and it has happened more frequently than I would have wished. Maybe that just implies that I'm more carnal than some people are. But it has happened more often than I care to remember that I have had my feelings hurt. I don't know of very many things, Bishop, that are more unpleasant than that because it, it means you you received something, you heard something, you anyhow it was it was the contrary of what you would have preferred. And and it's really it's sad because when when your feelings are hurt and your spirit becomes wounded uh, in your walk with God in a spiritual sense, it is it's almost always fatal unless a healing takes place. The wise man in 1814 of Proverbs said, A wounded spirit, who can bear? I've worked with people who were wounded, who had their feelings hurt, and some of them never truly recovered over the offense because part of the, the problem when you're dealing with hurt feelings is eventually you have to deal with yourself. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. And I have seen hurt feelings end relationships. It's sad when, when your feelings are hurt by a brother, a sister, a friend, whatever, in, in the natural and in the spiritual. I have seen families literally fragment and separate over hurt feelings. I have seen church families become fragmented and, and, and schisms arise over hurt feelings. I, I've seen, I've literally seen marriages terminate because somebody got their feelings hurt and they couldn't reconcile it and couldn't get it uh, <clears throat> reconciled. But it's especially sad when it's not a brother or sister or a family member, but it's God that hurts your feelings. When you come to an experience or a point in time when you feel disappointed in him, it seems like God has let you down, that he didn't come through, that, that he didn't hold up his end of the bargain. And I've seen people, there's a great danger here because I've seen many that got their feelings hurt at God and I've seen them year after year continue to serve the Lord in terms of embracing the, the, the separation message and being faithful to the house of God, even paying their tithe and offering and going through the motions and, and living the lifestyle. But it became apparent over a period of time that there really was no longer a relationship involved with God. In the text that I read to you, John, as I said, he's in prison. 
The spotlight has been turned off. That great faith that he seemed to have surging in his spirit just, just a few weeks ago now is being challenged. And so he sends his disciples, two of them that are, are still faithful, and they've come to visit. And he says, I need you to do something for me. I need you to go ask Jesus. I, I need an affirmation of my faith. I need you to ask him, was I right? Are you really the one? Or should I have been searching somewhere else? And so they come to Jesus. And Jesus looks at them when they posit the question to him. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. Tell him the eyes of the blind have been opened. The ears of the deaf have been unstopped. The lame will walk. See, Jesus knew that John was a student of the scripture. And John knew that in Isaiah 35, the prophet said, for when your God shall come, and, and John was a Jew, he only had one God. There was no question about who his God was. He, it says, when your God shall come, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be on top, the lame shall walk. And, and he's telling John, he said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. I want you to go tell John that this is at a season when his faith is going to have to see him through. Now I can imagine if, if one of the saints in our church had been in that position and sent a message to me saying, Pastor, I need a comfort, I need an affirmation. I need, and, and, and I'm telling you, if I didn't show up the next morning with a plate of warm brownies and a thermos full of hot chocolate, and I'd have been in trouble. But Jesus simply sends the word, your faith is going to have to see you through. Now, scarcely had those men gotten out of earshot that Jesus turns back to the crowd and says to them, there hath not risen one among men greater than John the Baptist. I'm sorry, I'm human. My mind works like a human. I do not understand. God, why could you have not sent that message to John? But John never heard that. All John heard was your faith is going to have to see you through. And we are here today and, and in varying positions in our walk with God. Some of us have walked with God a long time. If I live till the 20th day of July, I will have had the Holy Ghost for 60 years. And there's been ups and there's been downs and there's been all arounds and God's been good and he's been faithful and there's been times that I didn't know what I was going to do. But I am telling you, I understand this, that Christianity is not a destination. It is a journey. And if we're going to make it successful, they're going to be rough, challenges at times, and if we're going to make it successful to the end, we're going to have to have faith in a living Christ, and faith cannot be something we preach. It's going to have to be something we live. Paul told the Romans, the just shall live by faith. He told the Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that's especially difficult when it doesn't seem like the reward is forthcoming. But John said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But on this journey, on this on this track from here to glory, there are things that happen, and 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 we we get we get direction, and we get inspiration, and we we sometimes get vision, and we have our dream of what God wants to do with us, and that's all well and good. Joseph had a dream, and in his dream, he had a sheaf of wheat, and and it stood in the middle of the field, and his brethren all had sheaves of wheat, and their sheaves of wheat came and bowed down to his sheaf of wheat, and, and he got a revelation. There was coming the day that he, though he was the youngest, was going to be the head of the family, and, and oh, he was excited about his dream, and he 
thought everybody else would be just as excited about it as he was. But when he told his brethren, they weren't excited about it at all. In fact, Joseph found out that when God gives you a dream, sometimes there's things that aren't in the dream. You see, it wasn't in the dream that they were going to throw him in a pit. It wasn't in the dream they were going to sell him to the Arabs traders. It wasn't in the dream that he was going to be taken to Egypt and, and, and marketed like a piece of merchandise. It wasn't in the dream that Potiphar was going to buy him and own him. It wasn't in the dream that because of his integrity and his faithfulness, he was going to rise to the manager of Potiphar's house. It wasn't in the dream that Potiphar's wife was going to lie on him. It wasn't in the dream that he was going to prison. It wasn't in the dream that for two years he would languish there before he was brought out and become the governor of Egypt. And finally, when his brethren came, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But he didn't say that in the prison. Because there were things that, that just were not in the dream. When God speaks, you know, the prophet is anointed of God. And he prophesies, there's going to be a drought and a famine. And the drought and the famine happens. And guess who gets hungry? The prophet. And he says, God, what am I going to do? And, and God said, I don't, don't, don't worry about it. He said, I want you to go down to Zarephath. I've prepared there a widow woman to sustain thee. And so he goes down to Zarephath. The problem is God didn't tell the widow woman anything about it. <laughs> and so he comes to Zarephath. And the first person he meets is the widow woman. And she's out in the yard gathering sticks. He said, what are you doing? She said, I'm gathering a few sticks. He said, what are you going to do? She said, I got a little meal in a barrel. Got a little oil in a cruise. I'm going to make a cake. My son and I are going to eat it. And we're going to die. Hallelujah. Ain't God good. The prophet says, sound like a plan to me. Here's what to do. Make me a cake first, though. Now, I'm not real big into types and shadows. I don't understand all of them. But if there's a type of the New Testament pastor in the Old Testament, it's right there. I know they're going to turn your lights out tomorrow, but you still need to pay your tithes. <laughs> he said, make me a cake for it. Now, you've got to understand, the word that's translated barrel in that verse of Scripture is the same Hebrew word that's translated in the story of Gideon. So whatever she's got that meal in can be held in one hand. So it's not this big cavernous drum and she doesn't know it. She knows to the grain how much meal she's got. The word that's translated cruise means a tiny bottle. She's got a few drops of oil in a bottle, a little meal in a, in a pitcher or something, and she's got enough. She said, I'm going to make one cake. That's all I can make. The prophet said, make it for me first. Now here's the neat thing. This woman had enough insight into where she was at and what was going on in her life that she realized she didn't have anything to lose by obeying the word of the Lord. You know, in 40 years of pastoring in Bakersfield, we've had a lot of people come to God, and God's been good to us. we got a good-sized church, and I'm grateful for it. But not everybody that came made it. We've had people that came. They'd come to the altar. They'd repent. They'd pray through. They'd get the Holy Ghost. We'd baptize them in Jesus' name. They'd, the church would love them. They'd fall in love with the worship of the Spirit. Everything was great until one Wednesday night, the pastor would stand up and say, Oh, by the way, there are a couple of thou shalt nots in the Bible. And I've had people come to me and say, Brother Mullings, I guess we're going to have to find some place else to go to church. I said, well, did I hurt? No, no, no. We love you, the church. Everything's great. I, I'm sorry. i got to get over here and preach to these people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just following my leader. 
They say, you know what you preached the other night? They say, yeah. They said, we're sorry, but we just can't give that up. A pastor, somebody that's wiser than I is going to have to give me a little understanding. What in the world do you have to give up to go to heaven that you don't have to give up to go to hell? Just a matter of timing. Give it up now and go to heaven. Give it up later and go to hell. But this woman, she realizes she has nothing to lose. And so, you know the story. If you don't know the story, she made the cake. She fed it to the prophet. Went back. There was still a little bit of meal, a little bit of oil. She made another cake. They eat it. The next day, oil and meal. All and on, on and on and on. And, and, and so, there, there it is. You, the, nothing to lose. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, we walk by faith and not by sight. For what was seen is not of faith. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, Paul said, Now I see darkly as, as through a glass. The word that's translated darkly is a Greek word which means to have your vision obscured due to a fixed position in time. I am here today. I am locked into my flesh. I'm locked into this moment. I cannot tell you about tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. And it may seem dark and dank today. And it may indeed be. I don't know how God's going to work it all out. But I do know this. Like Job said, though skin worms devour my body, yet in my flesh I will see him. And I realize it's not all about what's happening right now. It's about when the saints go marching in. Uh, I used this scripture the other night in the conference. It's so relevant. Proverbs 29 and 18. The wise man said, where there's no vision, the people perish. The word that's translated vision there is, is not a, a word which speaks of a foretelling or a forthtelling. It's a, it's a Hebrew word which literally means perception or the ability to see the big picture. You've got, you got to understand yeah, there's more involved than just this moment in time. You've got your yesterdays. You've got your todays. And God willing you to have to tomorrows. And, and I don't know how God's going to work it all out. But he said if you lose the ability to see the big picture. If you see darkly. If you get captivated by this moment of time. It may seem dark. You may be like John in the prison. The spotlight's been turned off. The crowd's gone. There is no more applause. And now you're left with your doubts and your fears. And, and then, you, then you get condemned. Because you know you're not supposed to doubt. And I'll get back to that in a minute. But he said, when you lose the ability to see the big picture, you perish. And the word that's translated perish doesn't mean to die. I don't know why they translate that. It's a Hebrew word which means to disrobe or take your clothes off. So what he's saying is if you lose your ability to see the big picture, it's just a matter of time till you become spiritually naked. And Bishop, we've seen it happen. People got discouraged. They got, they got offended at God. God hurt their feelings. They, they didn't feel like he came through. They didn't feel like he was there for them. They, they feel like God let them down. And, and so they, they nursed that hurt. And, and they continue to come to church. But one time they walk through the door. And it's obvious they've lost the joy of the Lord. It's been stripped away. And then the next time the peace that passes understanding. And then their contentment. And then their commitment. And before long they come in and they're spiritually naked. And everybody knows it but them. So you've got to understand it's not all about right now. Hallelujah. And every person, I don't care who you are, 
You, at some point, you're going to go through a test of your faith. It's going to seem like God didn't come through. It's going to seem like he let you down. Paul said every, the fire is going to try every man's work of what sort it is. Somebody said, well, why, why does that have to happen? Because Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. That is the ultimate principle for success as a child of God. And everybody is going to come to a point where all they have left is their trust in God at that moment in time. And when that happens, you've got to do what David said in 37.5 of Psalms. He said, commit thy ways to the Lord. Trust in him. Now, here's the thing. The word that's translated commit is, is the Hebrew word to wallow, like a hog wallows in the mud. And, and it's kind of like the implication is like a child that is out playing and they fall down and they skin their knee and the blood's running and they come running to the house. Oh! And daddy said, well, come to daddy. They're right by daddy. They don't want daddy. They want mama. <laughs> and they crawl up in mama's lap and they wallow. And they're try- it looks like they're trying to insinuate themselves right back into her womb. Because they're just something comforting about. And David said, that's what you've got to do in those times when it feels like God's let you down. When at times you don't understand, it seemed like he didn't come through. Then you've got to wallow in the Lord. You've got to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You... <clears throat> And especially when you do not understand what's going on. Sometimes we're like David when, when, it, when, he, when he developed the uh, urgency in his heart to build a house for God. Get back over here. <laughs> <clears throat> and he told the prophet he wanted to build this great house for God. And the prophet said, man, it's cool. Sound like a plan. Go for it. And the prophet hadn't even got out of the palace yet. And God stopped him and told him go back and tell David no and we understand the Bible says because David was a man of war and shed much blood and God wanted a man of peace and all that and that, that all sounds cool what we don't understand sometime is from the time that God told David no you can't build it until God explained why to David was 17 years and for 17 years David had this burning desire in his heart and all he could do was fellowship a no But here's the key. When the prophet told David no, the Bible says David went to the tabernacle and sat before the Lord. He was saying, God, you may not let me have my dream, but I know you will never withhold yourself from me. Hallelujah. Sometimes it's expensive. Trust God. Isaiah 26, 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. You know, trust doesn't always produce what we think it's going to. It's kind of like the man at the pool of Bethesda. I just gravitate toward authority. I'm, I said, He's laying there and Jesus comes up and he says, Hey, dude, what you here for? He said, I, I want to be made whole. He said, Sound like a plan. He said, now I don't understand. I wish the Bible would give us a little more insight there. It doesn't. Just that one passage of scripture tells us that at a certain season, an angel would come down and trouble the water, and the first one in the water would be healed. I don't know if that was a weekly thing, a monthly thing, an annual thing, at once a decade. All I know is at a certain season, the Bible says, but I believe it was that way. I believe that's what happened, but the first one in would be healed, and, and Jesus said, what's the problem? He said, I have no man to help me. He said, I, I, somebody always beats me in. I can't be healed. Jesus said, I can take care of 
that. He said, you can. You're going to help me. He said, I'm going to do better than that. You're whole. Now, now, what do I do? Take up your bed and walk. Do what? Take up your bed and walk. Carry my bed? Yeah. Well, I didn't have to carry it here. Yeah, but you weren't whole then. You're whole now. You wanted to be whole. But, but you don't understand. Somebody else carried it for him. No, but not anymore. You're whole now. You got what you wanted. But, but what am I going to do? Well, I would advise you to go get a job. A job? I've never had a job. People have always given. Yeah, but not anymore. You got what you, you're whole. Now you're going to have. We still friends? And then sometimes it's like the, it's like the innkeeper. Samaritan finds the man he's beaten, he's robbed, he's stripped, he's left for dead the Samaritan was a type of Christ and he takes the man and he pours in oil and wine he brings him to the, to the inn and he sits with him through the night and at the end of the night he's got a journey on his way and he tells the innkeeper he said I'm going to give you some money here and I want you to take care of this man but I'm going to tell you right now and I'm going to tell you right now there may be some of you that God calls on in his service that it's going to seem like it's costing you more than you've got. And the Samaritan looked at the innkeeper and he said, Now it may cost you more than I'm leaving with you to, to, to do what I'm asking you to do. But I want you to know something. I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to make it all right. You know, there is a danger. I have pastored people. I've had to battle the inclination myself that every time I do something for God, every time I make a sacrifice, every time I'm put in a position where I have to deny myself, that, that as soon as I'm through that, I'm tempted to look in my goodie bag spiritually down here and see what God dropped in and see. It's very frustrating when there's nothing there. But can I submit to you, and if I mess up your theology, pastor, and straighten it up in Bible study, but for everything you are rewarded for here, you have no reward waiting for over. So sometimes you just have to realize that there's some things that are going to cost you more than it seems like you've got. But trust is, and trust is not what a lot of you folks think it is. <clears throat> you know, some of us get in those dark times when it seems like God hasn't come through and, and our feelings are hurt at God. And, we, and then we're, we're assailed by doubt and, or what the devil tells us is doubt. And then we feel condemned. We live under condemnation. But you've got to understand something. Faith is not what a lot of people preach it is. Faith doesn't have anything to do with God and what he does. Faith has to do with me and what I do regardless of what God does. It's kind of like the, the disciples. They fished all night long and, and they've caught nothing. And, and now they're getting ready to come in and Jesus steps on the scene. And he says, no, 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 I want you to cast out your nets on the other side. And, and just the, the honesty of their heart. They said, Master, we've toiled all night long. There's nothing out here. There is no point in it. There is nothing there. Now, most of us would call that doubt. But here was the faith. Nevertheless, 
even though we don't think it's going to accomplish anything, even though we don't believe anything's going to happen, at thy word, we're going to cast out the nets. And God, I don't see it. I'm not even believe, able to believe it's going to, but your word says to do it. And, and because you said to do it, I'm going to do it. And whatever happens is not my problem. That's up to you, God. But faith says I'm going to do it because you said to do it. And... That's why we've got to have the ability to see the big picture. In Hebrews 11, the Bible says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He endured as seeing him that was invisible. He was able to look beyond the physical horizon. And can I tell you something? I, I don't mean that God doesn't love you. And I don't mean that, that God cannot, cannot prosper here. And, and God cannot add, David said, God daily adds benefits to us. And I'm, I'm glad for that. But I, I am here to tell you that, that as, as hard as it may be for you to understand, God is much more concerned about your eternity than he is about your time. You know, sometimes we we misappropriate the word of God. There's a verse of scripture. It's Hebrews chapter, or not, excuse me, Romans 4, 28. And Paul said, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. How many of you have ever held on to that verse of scripture in a dark hour? Come on, you, you, you know the problem? That's not a standalone scripture. That scripture is wedded to the four scriptures that go before it, which read like this. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why did he yet hope for? But if we have hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. For we don't know what we should pray for all the time. We don't always understand the situation. But the Spirit itself prays through us. It makes groanings, intercession with groanings that can't be uttered. Sometimes I just got to get in the Holy Ghost. I can't, I can't concern myself with what's going on around me. I, I don't understand it and I don't even know what to ask for but I got to get in the spirit and let the Holy Ghost pray through me and, and sometimes it's just it's not words it's just, oh, 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 oh it's groanings that cannot be uttered and he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God and he's talking about people praying in the Holy Ghost agonizing in the Holy Ghost directed by the Holy Ghost sensitive to the Holy Ghost and if that is the case then we know that all things work together but I've seen people take that as a standalone scripture, and I've seen people embrace a lot of things in their life that were not for their benefit, but because they didn't understand what the Bible was saying, they, they thought, well, this has got to be for my good. Hmm. In my notes, I had everybody be running the aisles and leaving skid marks on the wall right there. There is, a, and man, I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm going to get through before y'all are. Can I read some verses of scripture to you? Look, 
first of all. There's an old Hebrew parable. Maybe this will help you understand what I'm trying to say. The Lord called an angel to him. And he sent him on a journey, on a mission. And as he sent him, he said, here's, here's the caveat. There's an old rabbi down in this village that's been faithful to me all of his years. And all he's ever asked is he wanted to be a part of something miraculous that I was going to do. And so as you go on your journey, I want you to go through that village and get that old rabbi and explain to him that I've sent you and that this is his chance to be a part. So he goes to the village, the angel does, and he contacts the rabbi and explains it to him. And the rabbi is so excited, he, and he, he hurries and puts together some food for their journey. And, and, and so they, they, they embark, and they walk through the morning and into the heat of the day. And at, at about the midday time, they come across this place where there's a, a little brook of water and some tables and chairs under a, a benches under, under a tree. And the old rabbi and the angel go over there, and they start spreading out their lunch. And off in the distance, there's a group of workmen just... just raw, rugged men, and they're, they're digging a, a tunnel through a wall of, of a mountain of pure granite to, to bring an aqueduct into the city, just old rough hand tools, and at lunch they take their break, and they come over, and, and they're tired, and they're weary, and they're aggravated, and they, they, they rudely treat the angel and rabbi, shove them off the benches, scatter their lunch around, and they sit down and eat, and, and the old rabbi and the, the angel gather up what they can, and go sit under a tree, and finally when they're through with their lunch, they they start their journey again. They go just a little way, and the angel says, wait. He turns, and he points at that mountain, and immediately the aqueduct is completed all the way through the mountain. The old rabbi looks at, other, looks at him. That's, I don't, he said, now we'll go. And they travel on in the day, and they come. In the evening, they come to this little village, and on the very outskirts of the village is this little house, little more than a hut, really, a little candle flickering in the window. He said, we'll see. There's a shed out back. We'll see if it's okay if we spend the night there. They knock on the door. An old lady and her son come to the door, and the angel explains that they're journeying for their master and wonder if they can use the little shed out back for to, to sleep. And the old lady says, no, no, no. He said, okay. No, 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 no. She said, no, you will stay in the house. My son and I will stay out there. You can have my bed, and you can have his bed. And and, and she said, we, we don't have a lot. We're very poor. We've got a little bread and a little cheese. We have an old cow out here that gives us milk, and we have a little, we'll share our dinner with you. So they sit down and share a meager dinner of bread and cheese, and they sleep. In the morning, they get up, and uh, before they start their journey, the, the old lady says, we, we have a little bit of uh, porridge here that we've made. We'll be happy to show. So they all got a couple of spoonfuls of porridge, and and. As they begin to journey, the, the rabbi starts this way, and the angel said, no, we're going this way. And the rabbi said, but that's where we came from. He said, yeah, we're, we're almost done. And they start, and just as they take a few steps, he turns around. And the old lady's cow is out in the pasture, and the angel points at it, and it falls over dead. And the rabbi looks at him, and he says, I, I don't understand he said, no, you probably don't. He said, let me explain it to you. He said, you know those men that so sorely entreated us yesterday? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, six inches beyond where they quit digging yesterday was the richest vein of gold that would ever have been discovered. If those men had gone back to work yesterday afternoon, they would have retired at the end of the day wealthy beyond their wildest imaginings. Now they're going to have to spend the rest of their life at hard labor. He said, but, but the old lady, she, was, she said, I understand. But you have to understand, the master sent me for her son. But because they were so kind, I took the cow instead. So folks, things are not always 
as they seem. Paul said, by faith, Abraham offered his son Isaac. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. By faith, harlot, the harlot Rahab perished not, on and on and on. In verse 32 of Hebrews 11, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promise, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life. Woo! Yes! And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisoned. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report through faith receive not the promise not here Hebrews eleven thirteen, and these all died in the faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth the musicians would come please for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country and truly if they had been mindful hear this if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had an opportunity to have returned. I don't mean this to be ugly, but when you came to God, that door of grace that you came through swings both ways. And if they had been mindful, if it had been in their heart, because God hurt their feelings, because he didn't deliver them like he did the others. Because he... Hello? They might have had opportunity to return. But now, okay, this is, this is my message. This is what I came to preach to you. But now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly. And this is my message. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Because he had prepared for them a city. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. Maybe God's hurt your feelings. Maybe he didn't come through the way you thought he should. Maybe you don't feel like he held up his end of the bargain. But can I submit to you today that God doesn't feel like he's being a bad God. Because he is more concerned about when the saints go marching in than he is about today. When, when God doesn't say there hath not risen one among men greater than Pastor Nathan when he just says sorry son your face going to have to see you through he doesn't feel like he's being a bad God he's not ashamed 
because he has prepared for you a city. God bless you. Let's all stand all across the house right now. Would you step out of the chair you're standing in? Would you make your way down to the front? And as you come, would you lift your hands? And would you pray a prayer of surrender and say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life. I surrender my heart. I'm not going to argue with you, oh God. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to play a game of blame and shame. But Lord Jesus, I've been honored to stand with you in heavenly places. Use me for your glory, oh God. That's right, all across the house. Let's pray this prayer of surrender right now. Lord Jesus, take our lives. Take our lives and use them for your purpose and your glory and your kingdom. Take our hearts, oh God, and prepare them to be filled with the unction of your spirit, we pray, oh God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, help us not to hold back. Help us not to resist the work of God in our life, but help us today, Lord Jesus, to be open and honest and vulnerable in your presence right now. In Jesus' name. Church, if there's someone nearby and it's appropriate, why don't you reach out, take their hand, put a hand on their shoulder, whatever is appropriate. Let's turn this whole house into a prayer service for a little while as we humble ourselves before the presence of God, as we call upon his name in this house. Lord Jesus, we need you today. We need you today. We need you today. Move among your children. Withholding nothing. Withholding nothing. Withholding nothing. Withholding nothing. Withholding nothing. I surrender all. I'm laying it at an altar today, oh God. I'm laying my life at an altar, oh God. I want to humble myself. I want to quit trying to be my own blessing. I want to quit trying to be my own purpose. I want to be filled with your blessing. And I want to be filled with your purpose, oh God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Withholding nothing. Withholding nothing. I'll Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.
you all. Somebody lift your voice and sing worship with me right now. King Jesus, my Savior forever, I give you all of me. I give you all of me, yes, Lord. King Jesus, my Savior forever, I give you all of me. I give you all of me. for the help that only comes from heaven in our life. If we're going to be changed, it's going to be by your power. Because without your power, we are just stuck in the reality of our own inconsistencies and our own weaknesses and our own pettiness. But, oh God, by the power of the Spirit, we take on a new nature in Christ Jesus. We put away the old, and we are made a new creation in Christ Jesus. Oh God, would you restore in our hearts that passion for the things of God, that pressing and that longing and that hunger for the things of God. Lord, if there's anybody here today and they've allowed distractions to get a bit too strong in their in their affections and, and now there is a contest within their heart for who they're going to be and, and how they're going to walk and how they're going to how they're going to know you and serve you lord i pray whatever state our heart finds itself as we stand in your presence i pray oh god we'd have the courage to lay down all our own wishes and wants and lusts and distractions and just focus solely upon the call of god solely upon the anointing of your spirit solely upon what you can do through us and what we can do for you lord jesus we are your people. Use us for your glory. Anoint us for your calling. Give us the strength we need to walk victorious, I pray today. In Jesus' name. And let somebody say, in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. I want to point out something while Brother uh, Mullings was teaching. And he's, uh, he is one of my favorite Bible teachers. Uh, he, 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 when he, it's like he just opens up, uh, all these different ideas. And I, I was thinking, so, so John the Baptist had his moment where he had to decide, okay, you know, am I going to sit here and spiritually suck my thumb and feel sorry for myself and make a list of who did me wrong and how all this, you know, blah, 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 just bitterness incorporated, incorporated. Um, he had his moment. But, but John the Baptist isn't the only one who has that moment. We all of us have that moment. Sometimes we have more than a handful of those moments, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, but I want to point out something here. When Jesus walks into Gethsemane's garden, it's his moment. And it is Jesus humbling him. It's not just John the Baptist who humbles himself. It's the literal flesh of God, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is the one. No longer is it just John. Now it's Jesus. Is there any other way we can do this? 
You see, Gethsemane isn't about defeating the devil. Gethsemane isn't about overcoming the power of the enemy. Gethsemane is defeating the self. We die in Gethsemane. That's why you can't take people into Gethsemane. You can take them into Gethsemane and they can come so far. But when you walk out of Gethsemane, it's only you. And you are saying, nevertheless, not my will. But thy will be now. If I could have chosen, if you would have taken me to a multiple choice opportunity of ministry, I wouldn't have chosen this way. I would have chosen a less painful way. Anyone ever felt that way? I would have chosen a bit of an easier journey. But nevertheless, not my way, your way. Nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. And hear me today, like Brother Mulling said, it's going to come for all of us. And so we decide today. I am yours. If I'm miraculously brought into a place of blessing and seven years of feast, so be it. Bring it all. Let it start right here, Lord Jesus. But if I go into seven years of struggle, that doesn't mean I'm not in God's will. It doesn't mean I'm not God's son. It doesn't mean I'm not invested by God's power. And it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit... If all you needed to give up on God was a tough day, there shouldn't be a person in this church. But you're here. You kept on walking. You kept on walking. You kept on serving. Praise God, somebody! I'm here to celebrate the person that's going to keep on walking. I'm here to celebrate the person that keeps putting one foot in front of the other. Seven times I fall, but I got back up again. Praise God. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. And Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.